The Dr. Taz Show. The podcast, Dr. Taz. Superwoman Wellness. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of Superwoman Wellness, where you know I am determined to bring you back to your superpowered self. Joining me today is Lisa Davis. She's an essayist, a novelist, and a journalist who's written for major publications such as the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, The Guardian, Time, Yahoo, and Salon, among many others. She lives in Brooklyn, New York with her husband and her kids, and she joins me today to talk about her book, recently released, Tomboy. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. We're thrilled to have you here. And the Superwoman audience is a lot of moms and a lot of parents. And we are all navigating raising children of different ages. Now, uh, this whole idea of the tomboy is interesting to me. I have a 12 year old. She's not a tomboy. She's a pretty girly girl. But but it is an interesting concept and idea. I want to know what inspired you to write tomboy to begin with. Is this a personal story or what, what where did this come from? Yeah, it is a personal story, although it is a researched and reported book. The story behind it, though, is personal, which is that when my daughter was in preschool, which is when a lot of kids are segregating by sex and the girls are starting to play just with the girls and the boy with the boys yep. and they're starting to play with different things, she wasn't really going with the girls. She was somewhere in the middle. She was playing with everybody. She was playing with everything. She would play princess, but she didn't want to be a princess. She wanted to be the royal dog. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we were watching this and wondering what was happening. And I'm a writer, so I and I do a lot of personal essay writing. And I wrote about being a feminist and sort of watching my kid reject gender norms and being interested in that. And a few years later, she came home and said that she was a tomboy. Someone at school had told her that that's what she was. That's a, a girl with uh, short hair who likes sports. Mm. And we weren't sure what to call her either. We weren't sure, was this about gender identity? Was this just about, I just like different stuff. I didn't know anything about how kids learn about gender and gender development in children. And I think no one in my life did. I don't think any any of the medical professionals did. And I think most parents don't know about it. Right. So um, when she called herself that, it made me aware that there were lots of kids like that in my youth, lots of kids who looked like her and lots of kids using the word tomboy and lots of um, media stars, the, the heroines of all the TV shows and movies I liked who were tomboys and had short hair. And um, so that was the first part. Of, and the second part was later on writing an op-ed that was about the assumption so many adults in my child's life were making that she didn't want to identify as a girl and wanting to figure out how to support trans kids, but not assume that rejecting traditionally feminine stuff has to do with identity. and that inspired such a huge response, including a lot of backlash, that it was really the combination of those two things, the wondering what happened to the disappearance of the tomboy, and then um, the anger and passionate support that writing about that tension between supporting trans kids, but not wanting to reinforce stereotypes that that um, 
engendered <laughs> to use that word in the audience. It was those things together made me realize there's a whole book's worth of material to explore here. Is there a relationship there? Is there a relationship between being a tomboy and being transgendered? And what is that? How do we navigate that, those words essentially? Well, that's a good question, especially the navigating, which is the hardest part because yeah. we're in a time when if you say the wrong thing, you'll be accused of being a horrible person and a hater. And um, and although that can just be people yelling at you at, on the internet, it also can impact your reputation, your career, your life. Mm -hmm. And yet the language is evolving so rapidly that few of us really know how to speak it. And a lot of the reason I wanted to write this book was to learn about the language so that I could have conversations with my kids. And what the research shows is that there can be a correlation between sort of tomboy behaviors or likes and being trans. And there are also plenty of trans men who were not tomboys as kids. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of tomboys who are not trans men. So mm -hmm. for me, the question is less, what does this behavior say about how you're going to identify later than it is about how can we make every kid feel free to explore all the stuff of childhood, regardless of whether it's marked as boy or girl typical. I love that. Uh, you know, who, when we think back, who are the early Tom, where did this word come from? Who are the early tomboys and how did we even come up with, is it from, it's not from Huckleberry Finn, is it? Where, where did this No, it's, a, it's actually, it was coined in the 1500s and it was a word used to describe an extra rowdy, extra boisterous boy because Tom means male type, like Tom Cat or Tom Turkey. Okay. And then tomboy would have been an extra boisterous boy. And then it actually pretty soon after started being applied to grown women who were like just a, just close to prostitutes, like really sexual lascivious women. And about a hundred years later, it starts getting applied as an insult to misbehaving girls who act like boys and eventually becomes a compliment. Okay. Gotcha. Interesting. I didn't know that history there. So, you know, why is it, do you think uh, when you wrote about tomboy why did it go viral why did it become so socially charged what was so you know we had tomboys i remember growing up there were people that were tomboys they were included in our group they weren't isolated by any means um but why do you think this this sort of resonated with people is it because of all the gender identity issues that are brewing right now or what, what do you think happened there yeah i mean i stepped into a debate that i didn't know existed yeah. And I didn't know that what I was saying was incendiary. Um, part of it was the headline, which, you know, writers don't write their own headlines and there's nothing wrong with the headline. Exactly. It's not what I would have chosen, but the headline was my daughter, at least online. It was my daughter is not transgender. She's a tomboy. And when they printed it in the paper, it was girls can still be tomboys, which I think would have been a lot less incendiary. Uh, mm -hmm. But um, some of it was that, and then and people not reading or not reading carefully, or or feeling that no cisgender woman should write anything about you know trans kids, or they felt like it was blaming trans people for adults having a narrow view of gender. Um, it just landed badly with people who already feel incredibly marginalized and vulnerable and felt like this is giving 
people who are anti-trans more fuel to say, mm-hmm. um, to say you're not trans, you're just a tomboy, which is a word that has been wielded to discredit trans, trans men, especially to say, we know what this is, it's tomboyism and you don't need to transition or you're not who you say you are. Mm. And I didn't know, of course, I didn't know about that either. What I was talking about was, you know, this tension between really wanting to support and facilitate trans kids, but to not make an assumption about a child based on their not conforming to gender stereotypes. And to ask like how much is identity rooted in stereotypes? How much are we making these decisions about who we think kids are and what's normal for them based on stereotypes that are now so baked into every part of childhood that they're invisible to most people. So how did writing Tomboy change you, change your views on gender, on sexual identity, on raising children. I'm curious, because your daughter was in preschool at that time. How old is she now? She's 11 now. 11 now. So I have a 12-year-old too. And this conversation amongst her peers is, you know, it's something that they'll talk about from time to time. So how did it change sort of what you, what you think and how you view this, all the stuff going on right now? I was really surprised by the research that had been done basically about how girls learn um, to devalue what's culturally marked as feminine and how girls learn to internalize sexism often by age six. So girls who are heavy into the princess phase, often sometime between six and eight, they'll start saying, I hate pink, I hate dresses, I hate princesses. And a lot of parents are really excited about that because they think, oh, the princess face is over, that's so great. Not realizing that actually those girls are saying, we've realized that everyone thinks anything that's called girly is bad. And so we're gonna push away from that so that you think we're cool. And we're gonna try to push ourselves higher on the status ladder because of that. That was shocking to me. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the research about quote unquote gender nonconforming children, children who don't conform to gender norms is that they are more flexible, more confident, do better in school, get better jobs. And so it turned out that, that, you know, having a gender nonconforming child is kind of a gift because you don't have to do all this work to push against the messages of culture. And the kids we need to worry about are the ones who conform to gender norms. That was really shocking to me. So when my younger daughter, who was like much more traditionally feminine, um, started going through that I hate pink phase, I just decided that we were not gonna participate in that we weren't going to mark things as girly and then say they were bad. I needed to I needed to stop that equation between bad and girly. And so we just decided in our house that no toys are gendered, no colors are gendered, no clothes are gendered and no personality traits are gendered. There is not a there is nothing is off limits to you because of the body you were born in and it's actually worked pretty well just to make that announcement all the time. And, you know, everybody, everybody likes pink in our family. There's no Where do you think they're getting these messages that the feminine is bad or the feminine is weak or the feminine is negative? Where, where are they getting that? 
Well, I think it actually has to do with how we raise boys. I think it has to do with, you know, most parents don't know the history of why we have boys clothes and girls clothes and why they're different and why we have boys toys and girls toys. A lot of it is about homophobia and a lot of it, you know, kids a hundred years, until a hundred years ago, most kids were raised somewhat gender neutrally in that their sex differences weren't emphasized and they were all wearing dresses and they all had long hair until they went to school. And then slowly you'd kind of inculcate them into their gender norms and identities. And the reason that changed is as the fields of psychology and sexology arose, they started to think of of homosexuals as a class of people instead of just like some behavior you engage in, that you're a different kind of person. And the way to, it was thought at the time that nurture caused homosexuality, not nature. So psychologists started advising parents to really raise their little boys as little men, really emphasize sex differences, really emphasize gender roles to make sure that they knew to be straight men. And that was the beginning of saying everything that's feminine, you need to distance yourself from. It's bad. You're a boy. Don't touch anything over there. And it, that message is replicated every time, you know, a parent of a boy says like, oh, I wouldn't, I, I'm not going to put him in a pink. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you're actually participating in a hundred years of homophobic, sexist messaging. Wow. So the only way to fix it, I think, is to stop believing that there is something natural about dividing up their colors and clothes and personality mm-hmm. traits that just, you know, liberate boys from having to stay in the narrowest of lines. And if they want to wear pink, don't have a heart attack that it means something. Right. You know, just encourage it. It's great. If you're all, all of the talks about toxic masculinity stem from us raising boys with a narrow range of normal and making them feel like they can't be fully human. So it, I actually think the revolution has to come from parents of boys. Wow. So wh- when or why did we switch from thinking of homophobia as nature to nurture? What what made that transition? Did something happen? Did like No, I haven't studied that. I don't know how we've figured out that people I mean, we still don't know how much how preferences happen and why they're different in different people and why there are identical twins where one is gay and one is straight. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a few, um, a few months ago, there was an article in the times that said, basically there is no gay gene Mm -hmm. that looking for to pinpoint some experience, some little part of your body that determines your sexual preference ignores the reality of being a human being in which You are born and you have some biological tendencies and then you have, you know, a lifetime of experience imprinting you. Mm -hmm. And so many things can contribute to all of our different preferences and identities. So I don't know how psychologists and the medical field generally caught up with that, Hmm. Um, but it's there's they're still looking right. There's still a search for it's the same with gender identity now. Yeah. What's causing this instead of 
actually there are just so many variations of normal and so many different ways to be human. Absolutely. I think it's fascinating. And I, I think it's probably just from what I've seen, I think it's probably a blend, you know, it's probably things that happen in utero. I think it's, uh, there's estrogenization, some of it, and I'm going to get in trouble for this, but some of it is linked to the toxicity in our environment because what's happening is that we're having a lot of estrogenization of the embryo in males. And we're having what I'm calling androgenization of the embryo in females. And we know that because we're seeing so much PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome where androgen levels and testosterone levels are really high. Women are having trouble getting pregnant. And then in men, we're seeing really high estrogen levels kind of diffusely across the board. And that's a change. That's a change chemically and biologically in the last 30 to 40 years. And it's very much linked to the toxicity of our environment. And so, you know, when I, when I'm looking at these things and trying to put the pieces together, there's definitely like everything, like every disease, like every condition, like every state of being, there is, there are always 20 different things involved. But one of the factors I think is just the times we are in and what it is doing to our biology, you know, but I think that's one player in it. But at the end of the day, the importance of understanding that player is that these people are human beings, you know, and it's not, you can't go beat something out of them or, you know what I mean? Like all these archaic notions right. of, of stuff. So, so that's kind of one thing that I've often wondered is that is our environment in some way contributing to our biology, you know, which we've seen. Over yeah. and so that's, uh, really, that's fascinating. I hadn't heard about that or thought about that. And it's interesting to hear that these, you know, conditions that are based in endocrinological changes are on the rise. And I, it would be, you know, it would be interesting to find out how that affects identity. And also, and uh, while at the same time, acknowledging, you know, that there are all of these different ways to be human. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, it's kind of like, it's both. It's like, here's the here's the chemistry, but here is the person, you know, yeah. and you have to merge those things together, you know, and you have to treat, treat them, you know, with, with complete dignity and respect. So a lot of celebrities have said that they were tomboys growing up. Uh, what's that about? Is that, is that just trying to make a good story for the latest like bio or, or is that true? Or what do you think is, is the connection there? That has actually been happening since um, since the 19th century, where uh, great women will say once they grew up that they were tomboys when they were young. Mm -hmm. And si since there have been like bi biographies of great women written. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting about that is that many of these people might not have liked the word tomboy as a kid or used it, but it's a way for women to say, I was always exceptional. I was always different. Um, there are many more people who say they were tomboys than who probably were particularly mm -hmm. traditionally masculine or sporty or whatever the criteria are because they yeah. change right over time. And um, I think that some of it is about, there, is, there possibly is a connection though in that if you were 
a tomboy growing up. You probably played with lots of boys. You probably had a lot of physical activity. You probably had a lot of freedom. You probably absorbed some male privilege, you know, by default by running with these. Yeah. Yeah. And you probably felt more comfortable around men and masculinity as you grew up. And so there may be a connection between having a childhood like that and having, you know, the studies show you have more career success, you do better academically. And so maybe all of these women, famous entertainers, maybe some of their confidence did come from having what some people call a boyhood for girls. I find that fascinating because I think confidence for girls continues to be an issue, right? And I think that girls that are not, I I was one of these, like sisters, strong mom, but in medicine, when it was time to do my surgery rotations or some of those very male dominated rotations, I was completely intimidated, no confidence. I'd walk into a room full of men and I just didn't know how to be around a bunch of men all the time, you know? And so it was, it was very intimidating. And I see that lack of confidence even today in girls. So it's interesting. Again, it goes back to being a girl is bad, being a boy is good. And here's a separation between the two. And that breaks my heart. I wish we didn't have that, you know, and how, and how do we continue to move ahead and change that narrative for our children? You're taught, you talk about having all gender neutrality within your home. Are there other things we as parents can do to make a difference as we're raising our kids? It's a good question. And, you know, I think there are two camps about this. There are the people, the, the people who write books who say we should lean into these differences and that boys need different things than girls do. And I just was looking up a book on confidence for girls. And, mm-hmm. and here's what you notice, right? The books all about what to do for girls are all basically suggesting you treat them more like boys. And the books about how to raise boys so that they, you know, know how to be vulnerable and kind and sensitive are all basically saying, treat them more like girls. And I'm not sure these people are listening to each other. My belief is is that after looking at all of this research is maybe stop emphasizing sex differences so much, maybe stop emphasizing gender and also ask for you know, demand of the marketplace that it stops gendering all of these material objects which don't need to be gendered. And that has happened. There's a group, um, I think this group, Let Toys Be Toys, which is a group in the UK, has put pressure on on marketers. Um, The International Toy Association stopped doing Boy Toy of the Year and Girl Toy of the Year awards a few years ago. There are you know, Target stopped having boys sections and girls sections. I mean, all of these giant retailers are marketing boy stuff and girl stuff, communicating to these kids, if you like what's over there, there's something wrong with you, or you're not a boy, or, you know, you're not supposed to like it. So the only reason we do it is because it's very, very successful financially, but it's not actually good for children. So asking that the culture go along with us is, is also what we need to do as, as well as, you know, crafting new messages in our own homes. That's fascinating. So is your daughter still a tomboy today? Where has she landed today as an 11 year old? She's, um, 
she has pink hair. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can see. And um, <laughs> bigger than mine. And um, she's she's been pretty consistent. I mean, there was a period, I write about this at the end of the book, there was a period that she grew her hair out uh -huh. and her clothes didn't change and her friends didn't change. Um, nothing else changed but her hair length. But it made people assume she was a girl. And for the first time in her life, really, since for the first time since she was three, she was recognizable as a girl. And what she and I both noticed is that she was treated completely differently. Wow. Completely. I mean, and it was fascinating to both of us. And it wasn't upsetting to her. Um, but it was not as good. <laughs> it's not as good to be treated like a girl by strangers as it is like a boy. And I would say, I think most people don't know her sex category when they look at her, but I think we've moved on to a place where um, she's really unbothered by anything, pronouns, immune, doesn't yeah. care. Um, you know, I interviewed one, one woman who was a self-identified as a butch lesbian. And she said, I thought this was interesting. And I know pronouns are really important to a lot of people. And I respect anyone's pronouns. And I put mine on my email signature to be supportive. But I've talked to people who say, the pronouns that you use for me are about you. Mm. And they're about how you see me is a reflection of how you see the world. And I know who I am, no mm. matter what. And um, Currently, I have a child who's like that, who just says, like, I don't care. It doesn't, that doesn't, the, the word you use for me doesn't change who I am. But I'm well aware that that could change at any time. And I am prepared to support her in whatever direction she chooses, however masculine or feminine, whatever her gender identity, whatever her pronouns Um as long as she knows that it's an option to be herself, whoever that is. Oh my gosh. And then that's great advice for all of us raising children or even mentoring children, wherever you are in, in that role. I think it's uh, really important information, really important to help these kids through. They have a lot of questions, especially at our children's age. Uh, my daughter's 12, hers is 11. And I think it's just really important to be honest and to answer questions, but to always treat everyone with dignity and respect and still really bummed out that the whole tomboy thing came about because we were trying to help boys and that girls are still not seen as strong. They're seen as weak, but, um, but I guess we still have time to work on that one. So anyhow, well, thank you so much for taking time out today to talk about this very interesting topic for sure. If people want to connect with you, what is the best way for them to do that? They can find me in all the usual places, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. It's all at Lisa Selen Davis. Okay. And, um, and yeah, and my book from your local bookstore is my yes. preference. Awesome. And your so you want people to buy from your local bookstore, not the big guys. The big guys are fine too, but it's really, you know, one way to make sure it's stocked in the in your local bookstore is to request it if it doesn't already have it. And yeah. it's just a really, really good time to try to um, save our local bookstores. 
So yeah, the book, everybody is tomboy. Thank you, Lisa, for joining me today. And thanks. Thank you, everybody for watching this episode of Superwoman Wellness. Remember, we are on Spotify as well. And if you post a review and send it to me at hello at drtaz.com, we will give you a free bottle of Boost, which is our B vitamin to keep us all super powered. I will see you guys next time. Thanks so much.